Well, welcome to week three in our message series, Alternate Ending, as I wrap it up this week. By the way, uh, glad to see so many of you here after we had the talk uh, last week. I want to welcome those uh, watching in Issaquah and Duval and online. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at the stories that are the stories of our lives and consider uh, what if we had an alternate ending? What if we changed the script and we could get a different outcome in our life? I don't know if you've ever done this. You go online and you check this out, uh, that there are plenty of movies, big time blockbuster movies, and their endings were uh, supposed to be different or maybe they were different, and then after audience reaction, or maybe just after the script was written, uh, they came up with an alternate ending. Uh, in fact, you may not know this, uh, Terminator 2, it was supposed to end uh, with Sarah Connor as a, a grandmother and happy and, you know, everything's idyllic. But then again, if that would have happened, what would have Arnold Schwarzenegger done in his retirement? I mean, he would have uh, had very few options after he uh, changed the name of California. And so uh, that would have been really difficult for him. Or think about the Rocky movie, the very first Rocky movie, which was uh, written by Sylvester Stallone as well. Uh, he had the end as this, that uh, Apollo Creed, he took the bribe from a bribe from Apollo Creed, and uh, he threw the fight, lost it, and he opened up a pet store with Adrian, his girlfriend. Thank the Lord that there were uh, some people who talked some sense into Rocky. Great actor, but evidently not that great of a writer. Uh, and he was able to ride that franchise. In fact, I'm sure until the Lord comes back. Well, as we think about great movies, uh, we think about uh, what we learn uh, from them uh, as we're going along this theme. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, some of the movies lately, they just don't hold the great stories, especially the 90s, I think was a golden era uh, for movies. So what I want to do is I want to give you a quiz and uh, don't leave me hanging like you usually do. Uh, I, we're going to see which is the lesson that we learn uh, from the movie. So Home Alone, let's uh, uh, start one with that one. Uh, what do we uh, learn from that one, Home Alone? Do we learn A, desperate situations breed ingenuity and bravery, or B, before departing the country on a family vacation, remember how many kids you have. Uh, and then uh, think about other movies like uh, Jerry Maguire. What do we learn uh, from that one? Do we learn A, if you stand on principle, you'll eventually be rewarded, or B, best pickup lines ever. You had me at hello and you complete me. Or, or think about Titanic. Uh, what do we learn about that? Is it A, love can conquer the cultural divide between rich and poor? I don't want to ask how many of you have tried that. Or B, what do you get when you cross the ocean in the Titanic? About halfway. That, I'm sorry, that was that. I, I don't know who, if that was Pastor Jeff or Brian who gave me that one. Uh, that was very insensitive and it's their fault. So uh, what, what do we, then there's a movie, uh, Ghost. What do we learn from that movie? 
Is it A, true love lasts for all times, or B, uh, looking for more romance in your marriage? Try pottery. Now, some of you never saw that movie, so you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, not that I'm recommending it, but uh, it's a pretty good one. Anyway, so as we look at uh, uh, alternate endings, we're looking in this series about how God shapes us, informs us. And this is the goal. The goal in this is to confront the problems that are in us and around us. This last month, we've really dived deep into some of the, uh, some difficult territory. In fact, it even began the week before this series as we looked at uh, creation and science and faith. And if you didn't listen to that and you have doubts around that, I encourage you to listen uh, to that last message in Deep Water Faith. And then we started this series looking at the troublemakers that we have uh, in our lives or that we can sometimes be. Last week, we, we had the talk. And uh, this week, we're looking at bad religion. Now, as we talk about that, it, it can be very interesting from a theoretical standpoint to say, well, there are other faith systems that are wrong. Now, I'm talking about even when you believe the right things about God, even when you believe the Bible, that there can be uh, religious systems and structure and beliefs and just how we act it out that can be uh, devastating in our lives. Let's look at the scripture that really has framed this whole series, and then I'm going to draw out two words in particular as we consider this. It says, from Galatians 5, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I just so love that one where it's like, hey, in case you're so freaky that I didn't mention it, there are, I want to include you too in that. Well, what we're looking at in particular is idolatry and sorcery. Uh, so what, what really is that when you think about that? Idolatry and sorcery are uh, tools to control. That's really what they are. Uh, they're tools uh, to try to control the people around us. Uh, they're tools to try to uh, control God. Uh, in fact, how many of you would admit that you're uh, maybe a little bit of a controller? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, yeah, good, good. I'm glad to see that, see that hand. And uh, uh, how many of you would admit that you're married to a controller? Ask them permission to raise your hand. <laughs> the, uh, no, we, we, we have this issue, and, and really what this, this is all centered around a myth. And uh, this is centered uh, around the myth of omnicompetence. Control is fed by the myth of omnicompetence. Now, I looked that up. I thought, did I just make up that word? No, it's actually a word. It's where we believe that we are good at pretty much uh, everything. Uh, you think about that. Uh, some of us maybe are good at sports. And uh, then we say, hey, well, you know, because I'm good at sports, I'll be good at all sports. We've seen that. Someone will go from one sport to another, and they assume mastery because of what they've accomplished. In fact, in our area, I think we get this quite a bit. 
because uh, a lot of smart people uh, we've accomplished in many different areas. And so we are at great danger of shipwrecking literally our life and relationships because of the myth of omnicompetence. I've seen people where, hey, well, I'm a great business executive. I'm a great leader in the office, and so I'm a great leader in the home. Until you're not, and your family doesn't want to be that led that way, and your marriage blows apart, and all the financial and relational and issues that go with that. I've seen it again and again. You know, I could assume because I'm so handsome that, <laughs> no. uh, you know, see, we have this myth of omnicompetence. Well, well why, uh, why is this such a big deal? Uh, there's the big deal, uh, really, when you think about this, is what this myth creates. It creates pride, uh, the bad kind of pride, not the kind of pride that says, hey, I accomplished something, I did it, but the kind of pride that says, I've, I am the one who's in control. And in fact, if we could pull back to the uh, circles of control, I, I want to illustrate it uh, this way a little bit. Uh, you think about uh, our realm of control. Here's what God controls, really everything, and this is what I control. Maybe that's maybe too big of a circle. But oftentimes what we'll try to do is we'll try to go into God's territory. We'll try to be God. By the way, idolatry uh, and sorcery, that's like, hey, maybe I'm not in control, but I'm still going to control God in his realm. And... Uh, we get into all sorts of problems with that kind of thinking. Now, if you look at this in particular, in the book of Galatians, uh, there's a group of people, religious people, who are called the Judaizers. Uh, not because they really believed in the Jewish faith, but what they believed were some of the traditions and systems and structures around the faith, uh, that especially when it came to circumcision. So uh, they were saying, well, because we have been circumcised, uh, we think that we are spiritually superior, which, by the way, is sort of weird. Uh, think about it. Uh, circumcision was done on the eighth day. It's not like they made the decision. Not many eight-year-olds are talking, and they're not talking and saying, hey, I want a surgery. I want this kind. I know it seems a little weird, but, you know, uh, that really wasn't anything that they were doing. That was a decision that was made by their parents as a sign of covenant with God, but really they had totally missed the point. The ultimate affront to uh, this is the cross of Jesus Christ. If you look at that, well, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Because we couldn't handle it. We couldn't be right with God. And so if, if you look at that, I mean, you think about it. You, 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 people will say this. You've heard this all the time. Hey, I got this. Nothing good it comes after someone says, I've got this, or I'm going to handle it. I've got it under control. And by the way, when we say it, what do we mean? We usually mean a person, right? You're sitting next to it. You're going home to it. You are raising a bunch of little its. You know, that's sort of uh, what we're talking about. Uh, we're not talking about a thing, we're talking about a person. And our pride says, not only am I going to control my life, I'm going to control yours. The cross of Jesus Christ says, I need to be forgiven, 
I need to be restored by what God can do and I can't do on my own. That I can't handle it. You know, one of the things I, I love, uh, especially this last really six to eight months or so, uh, we've had an increasing number year over year of people being baptized, that they identify with Jesus Christ in baptism. Baptism is a great symbol and one that's commanded in Scripture where we say, I can't handle it on my own. And so I'm going to identify with Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection as I'm baptized. I need to be cleaned. I need to be, to be whole. If, you're, if you say, hey, I'm a believer, I don't see why it's a big deal, baptism. Well, not going to get you in or out of heaven, but Jesus commands it. And so why would you deliberately disobey something that Jesus says to do? And my guess is that would be, you know, you say, well, it's sort of, I've had people say this to me, it's sort of humbling. That's the point. The point is that we need him. We've had more people ever before. And I would say, if you've had any doubts, the scripture is quite clear. Once you've believed to be baptized, it's a great symbol of that. You may have been, had a baptism as a child, which is really about your parents' faith, but this is about your faith, saying, I need Jesus. Uh, you think uh, about another problem with this is a blind optimism, uh, that that this myth of omnicompetence can say, you know, I, I, I'm going to do well. Life is going to be good all the time and get better all the time. You ever know people who have blind optimism? Did you ever watch American Idol, you know, <laughs> when it was on? People who thought that they were good at things that they were not and Simon would tell them. By, by the way, uh, you'd say, what's wrong with this? Because blind optimists, you know what they become? Bitter people because it's based on something that's not real. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Not many, put that, not many people put that verse on their refrigerator. Uh, but he also says, I have overcome the world. See, it's about what God does, not about what we do. And this can lead to unnecessary pain where we walk through things that we were never meant to walk through. I, can, can I share with you something that has honestly gotten to, to be such a pain point for me even in the last few weeks and few months is when people will walk through and, hey, I've got it all together, man. You know, I got it all together. And then I find out, boom. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I'm I'm walking out, I'm leaving the marriage, or some other catastrophe strikes, or, uh, and they never told anyone. And, and, and the idea is, well, hey, I've got this. I was just handling it on my own. And you were never meant to live that way. And maybe you're going down that road, and, and that's not being strong. That's just saying, I'm omnicompetent. I can handle it. I will be my own God, and therefore, whatever happens, I'm the God of that. And there's a different way. And it's a way, see, when, when you, if you're part of this church family, uh, and by the way, if you're, you know, you say, hey, this is my second week. I like being here. Hey, welcome to the family. And we want to support you and be with you and help you find God's peace and power. I cannot tell you how many people I've seen and they've 
recover, gone through recovery from addiction. Marriages have come together. People who really honestly, they were messing up their kids have gotten that under control. So many things because they said, I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus and the people that uh, he would put in my life. See, uh, otherwise it, it, it will lead to hypocrisy and guilt. Uh, in fact, you think about this. Uh, some of you were raised in religious environments, bad religion. Good people, bad religion that just says, hey, I have to put on the show. And what happened is uh, people live double lives. What we say around here is it's okay not to be okay. You don't have to be a, a hypocrite. There needs to be someone that needs to know you. I have a group of people I meet with who know me and who uh, I'm transparent with. I, I don't use the term accountability because uh, you can lie to people. <laughs> but I just say, hey, this is what's going in my, on in my heart today. And would you pray with me? And there's people who I do that for as well. In the New Testament, particularly in the book of Galatians that we're looking at this weekend, uh, one of the, the primary lies that these uh, false teachers of bad religion would uh, go through is, hey, Jesus is great. He is so important, but he's not quite enough. And I think the closer you get to God through scripture and a relationship with Jesus Christ is you will understand that he's more than enough. And in fact, whenever you feel like, hey, I just, I just want to go on to something else spiritually, you wander away from Jesus uh, that's a dangerous place to be. So how do I break free from bad religion? What I want to do is I want to look at the chapters that surround these verses that we've been looking at. I mean, we, we don't, by the way, if you've come here the last few weeks, we normally don't spend like a week in a verse. <laughs> we cover more ground than that. Uh, but I just wanted to hone in on these, especially during the summer season. Uh, so number one, how do I break free from bad religion? I surrender control. I surrender control. Uh, it says in Galatians 5, 6, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Now, is that just for the, the chosen few? No, not at all. In fact, we read uh, in, in Romans this, it says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what that means? That means everyone. That means anyone who would say, I need you, Jesus. But that takes a little bit of humility to do that. Max Lucado, one of my favorite authors, he was uh, talking about a, a trip he took on an airplane once, and a little kid sitting next to him, not a little kid, more a tween, probably about 12 years old. And uh, first thing this kid says, the kid was, he said, hey, my name is Billy. I get confused a lot. Will you look out for me? Sort of a strange introduction. But then what happened is Locato writes, he said he stopped each one of the flight attendants. And he said, hey, my name is Billy. I get confused a lot. Will you look out for me? Not kidding. Then he goes across the aisle. He, he says it to the person across the aisle. He's finding people behind him. And he says, I'm Billy. I get confused a lot. Will you look out for me? And Lakato, as he was thinking about it, he said, who was the safest person on that plane if it crashed? It would be Billy. There would be like 30 people looking out for him. And, you know, I think sometimes I need to say that. Hey, I'm Ben. I mess up my life a lot. Will you look out for me? And that's saying, I not only surrender control to God, but I have a humility as I move forward. 
Uh, part of this is rejecting formula faith. See, see, we get this idea sometimes that God is like a cosmic vending machine, that I put in the right prayer and out comes the right answer. By the way, uh, this can be, uh, you may have been raised Catholic, uh, Protestant, Baptist, Pentecostal. There's a version of this with every group. Maybe no religion at all, that you've made up your own, but we have this idea that I do this thing and God owes me something. God doesn't owe us anything. God gives us more than we could ever imagine. Uh, you know, I, I, th I think about this. I'll get this every once in a while. Well, you know, the Lord's Prayer, we need to say that particular prayer because it's important. I believe in the Lord's Prayer. I know it by heart. And, but it doesn't say pray that prayer every weekend. We're going to talk on prayer in a few weeks. And I, I hope to give you some insight that will transform your prayer life and your faith life in the process. So is it, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it in, is in heaven. Forgive us this day our daily bread, uh, you know, or give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or trespasses or sins or whatever you're today. You know, and we go through this. Or was it meant to be what Jesus said? Pray something like this. Father, God, I call you Father. And I know... You love me like I've never been loved like the perfect parent. I call on your name. Will you forgive me where I've broken my life? God, I know that you are holy and that you have a plan and a purpose and your kingdom will come and, and I just want to be part of that. See, that's the type of relationship not that formula faith, formulaic faith. Uh, you know, a lot of times we think it's like, you know, Aladdin and we rub the, you know, the, uh, the lamp and we get the three wishes or like the old story that Chuck Swindoll told uh, of a lady, uh, I guess a true story, that she would take a pair of man's pants, she was single, and she would put them on her bed every night and pray this prayer. Uh, oh Lord, hear my prayer, answer if you can. I've laid these trousers on my bed, now fill them with a man. <laughs> Actually, God did answer that prayer, so I guess that one is not a good example. But it's not this formula, it's a relationship. Here's what we read. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And what he's talking about in particular is that ritualistic formulaic faith. Well, uh, some of you are saying, well, hey, that's great, man. I just do what I want to. I am free. It, no, well, you got to read the whole chapter here. You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, so you're right. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Number three, develop grace as your first impulse. This is so important for us uh, in the church in particular. Bad uh, religion always denies God's grace in our lives, and therefore we can be stingy sharing it with others. We think we have the audacity to think that we can evaluate whether or not someone deserves God's grace. You and I never, hey, we can evaluate our own lives. We're supposed to do that, lives lives that honor God. But I never want to take God's place in there because I'm not omnicompetent. He is. Here's what it says. Uh, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, 
or you may be tempted, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. You say, well, I thought I was supposed to judge everyone harshly, and that's the way I was supposed to. No, carry each other's burdens. You know, I'm, I'm so excited, uh, sort of, the response. I Honestly, last week as we talked about sexuality, and, and I just knew I had to because I need to be faithful uh, with that, but just a, the breadth of response. Some of that was, hey, you know, uh, I'm glad you brought clarity. I was confused in that. Some, of, you know, I'm glad that you really, st- you know, are there with biblical truth. But I also got emails that were, hey, I struggle in this area a lot, or I'm confused. I'm confused about even who I am, and I'm glad that I can have a home here at Timberlake. See, it's that, that really, it's not a balance of truth and grace. It's a radical commitment to both. Well, uh, number four, allow, always compare your actions with God's direction. Uh, seeking God's direction is a path to joy. Comparing with someone else robs us of our joy. You know, and I would like to say, hey, I never compare with anyone else. Uh, but, you know, even this last week, I, I felt bad. There's this buddy of mine, and we are buddies, but, you know, sort of always a little competitive thing, and I'm always, you know, probably judging him for how competitive he is. And our kids go to the same college. And, and uh, so we were talking on the phone, and, uh, and, and I just happened to mention that my daughter's scholarship got increased this year. And, and I just asked him if his child had done the same thing. And all of a sudden, I'm trying to, I'm feeling good about grades I did not earn. <laughs> and uh, so, so I don't know what it is. See, I guess sometimes is if I know I didn't measure up, I know you didn't, but I measured up maybe in my own mind a little better than you. I feel better about myself. So, that, so this is what this next scripture is uh, talking about in particular. So if, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, oops, that was me, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. I compare my action in, to God's plan and standard for my life. See, uh, so I have to ask myself, am I... Am I more like Jesus? Am I, uh, am I generous like Jesus, who shared all he had with other people, who was committed with his time and energy and his financial resources? Am I doing that well compared to everyone else or what the Scripture says and have Jesus live that out? Am I being faithful? Am I a servant like Jesus? Jesus, who is the Savior of the whole world, and he washed his, his followers' feet. Am I, whoa, I'm… So that's what I'm comparing myself to. Am I forgiving like Jesus? When he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they, they just don't even know what they're doing. Am I faithful like Jesus? When he went to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was betrayed, when I was in Israel, we don't know if it was the exact place. They have the, at least the place they take us tourists. And, and I could imagine when I was there, what it would be like, because you can see the city from there in the place where he would suffer and die. And he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. 
See, that's our radical dependence. It really comes down to this. Number five, let your faith begin and end with Jesus. Let it begin and end with Jesus. Uh, my mom, uh, she became a Christ follower in her middle 50s. As I've shared before, she was sort of into the 60s movement. She was in that, you know, for like 35 years or so. A lot longer than the 60s lasted, but they lasted long in our household. And uh, she became a follower of Christ. And he, I was uh, visiting my mom. Uh, and I talked to her a lot about uh, her faith. My mom is failing in her health, sort of uh, as, as uh, life wraps up in many ways for her. And she always says, I remember how much Jesus has done for me. And uh, one of the great things about my mom is uh, you could come, you should talk to my mom. If you're like really jacked up and have sinned a lot, like in a heinous way, talk to my mom. <laughs> because she said, I, I just know what Jesus did for me. And so that's because of what, that grace. I remember uh, she had become a, a, a Christ follower and uh, she was sending money to a particular televangelist, not only to her church she was given there, she was also given to this televangelist who I was leery of. Well, it turned out he was, you know, off. Now, I could tell that by, uh, she'd given so much money, uh, the evangelist sent a Bible with his picture on the cover. So, yeah, you knew that something was wrong there. And uh, as uh, it later came out that uh, he was doing something wrong. I said, Mom, don't you feel bad about that? She goes, no, I didn't give the money to him. I was giving money to the Lord. Now, he's responsible for what he did with it, but that's not my deal. See, it was always about Jesus. You know, it's so sad, so sad when uh, people are hurt so badly when it goes astray. And that, that's why as a church, let's just keep radically centered on the person of Jesus Christ. And not your particular doctrines, by the way. D don't get that weird. That's not going to be cool. But on Jesus, his grace for us, dead and crucified and risen again. I, I, I was going, you know, going by this uh, church and this was a church that was the largest church in the region. It had become really big, the church in Washington State, and had never seen a church grow that big. Many people, you know, going into ministry, lives impacted, and it was really almost like a, a big phenomenon, this uh, church, and then, boom, didn't exist. And, and I was thinking about that because I was with the senior hires at uh, Lake Chelan. Uh, I, I've gone for the last few years, love to be part of our high school camp. God's doing such great things there. And I was driving through Wenatchee, and that's where this church is. And maybe you've been there, I think it's on Highway 2, that huge furniture store, it used to be a church that just all of a sudden became about a lot of things, maybe good things, I don't know, I'm sure some bad things do, but it wasn't Jesus. And, you know, I know some of you have, have had experiences like that, even maybe even recently. And, and what can happen is you can just say, hey, you know, I'm never really going to commit again. And can I tell you that when we serve Jesus, that it's always a commitment worth making, and it's time to, to get back in the game.
to say, Lord, you have my time, my energy, my resources, my relationships, because it's about you. I love what uh, Galatians 6.14 says. The Apostle Paul says this. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's about Jesus. I don't know what uh, is going on in your life and faith as, as we talk this weekend. Maybe it's opposition from the outside that uh, we talked about one of our first weeks. Maybe it's struggles with sexuality. Maybe it's that you've bought into this myth of omnicompetence where you've said, you know, I got it. But I think one of the most powerful things we can do to strike down the, the idols it talks about, that myth of control, is to say, God, I need you, not theoretically, not yesterday, but in this moment. I need your grace, Jesus. And maybe it's a prayer of confession. And, and you can know this is that confession, when you do that, when you get honest with God, it's not about disgrace. It's about God's grace. Or maybe you say, hey, it's not... I've never really entered that relationship with Jesus like you talk about, but I'd like to. Will you pray with me?